0: So the series we've been doing this year called The Words in Red, it's a series through the sermons of Jesus. And so we've already looked at what's called the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've looked at what's called the Olivet Discourse. We've looked at the parables. And now we're coming to a section that's called the Upper Room Discourse. Now, the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they, they show this uh, taking place when it's before passover they're in this upper room getting ready to partake of the passover meal john doesn't emphasize the meal part what john does is john talks about what jesus has to say during this time so chapters 13 14 15 16 are all part of the same discussion Chapter 17 seems to fall along with that, though Jesus was probably in a different place when that took place. John puts it all together, so we'll be looking at that in the future as well. And this upper room discourse, it's, it's, it's important to, to understand that this is really the last kind of instruction that Jesus wants to give his disciples before he goes to the cross. It's sort of like if you buy a piece of furniture from Ikea you know, and, and before you kind of take it out of the box, you just pull out the instructions and you read the instructions and then you pull everything out of the box to go, oh, okay, now I think I have an idea of how this is supposed to go together. It's, it's like Jesus is saying, look, I'm about to accomplish something that you've only been, been dreaming about. I'm about to do something that, about bringing in the kingdom of God in a way that you didn't know through my death and resurrection. So before that, I want to explain to you what's going to happen what it is that I'm going to accomplish, what it looks like to live in my kingdom. And so this is really what we have in this Upper Room Discourse. Now what's unique about this sermon, you might say, than the other things we've looked at, is the fact that this this discourse starts with probably the most powerful object lesson in history. Where Jesus does something to make a point that's not just about what he's going to teach in chapter 13, but what he's going to teach through the whole discourse. He wants to show us something about the fact that Jesus serves. So really, I want to kind of talk about three ways Jesus serves us. And and, and I'm doing this just so that we have something to kind of hook our brains on. But I'm really hoping that what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit enables us to kind of see what's really happening here. To appreciate how profound it is of what's what's happening here. And you've noticed probably in just when we read those verses how often it says that Jesus knew. He knew something. And the idea there is John wants us to realize that Jesus was completely conscious of who he was and what was happening. That he was not unaware of what he was about to go through. He was not unaware of who he was. He knew exactly what was going on. In fact, this is really what the first thing I want us to, to recognize, that Jesus served, listen, he serves as the beloved son. Look at verse 1 again. It says in verse 1 that Jesus knew he was going to depart, go back to his father, and it says specifically that he had loved his own who are in the world, speaking of the 12 disciples specifically, and He loved them to the end, some versions say, to the uttermost. The idea here is that, that everything that Jesus did, He did out of love. Now, this is important. It's important because in the immediate context, seeing Jesus do something so kind uh, so, 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 servant-hearted, we can go, yeah, we see that's love. Because in our culture, Western culture, we see that as love. We see that kind of service as love. Mainly because our culture has been so influenced by the gospel. It's not something we've invented. It's the influence of the gospel that makes us know that's true. But you have to understand, when, when John is saying this about Jesus, that he loved them to the end, that he's always loved them, that means everything that we've seen Jesus do in all the gospels was motivated by love. That means when Jesus makes a whip of, uh, of uh, a, a cord of whips and chases people out of the temple, the money changers, he was doing so because of love. That means when Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, he was saying so out of love. It means when Jesus took small children into his lap and blessed them, he was doing so because of love. That's always his motivation. It's always his motivation. Now, John goes on to record that it says that supper was ended, okay, and the devil had already been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. This is important because John wants us to notice that what Jesus is about to do in washing the disciples' feet, he did so even to, to Judas. Now, interesting thing about jesus as the beloved son what he does is he uses his authority as the beloved son to serve other people it says specifically in verse 3 that jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands in other words jesus didn't just understand that he is the beloved son he understood he is the messiah he's god's chosen king he already had all authority over heaven and earth that was already his what did he do with that he served he served anyone who needed it. He served others. Now, I love the fact that included in that, of course, was Judas, that he was willing to serve someone who John wants us to recognize was one of his enemies. Now, we know that Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, right? Matthew 5, five, forty-four. Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. But notice what he, how he says we need to do that. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Sarah and I had the privilege a couple weeks ago of spending a couple days with a couple from China who were connected to the underground church movement. Amazing privilege. And talking to these people, very uh, not very humble Uh, people, simple people. I I think, too, I had in my mind that the underground church movement was like purely peasants, and most of the people that are are very poor people. But these people were actually well-known. Well, I can't say what they did probably exactly, but basically they were involved in the medical field and well-known in what they did. And the husband was a really successful businessman. But talking to them about the underground church movement and, and seeing the kind of heart they had the the reality of serving Jesus, and then talking to uh, uh, an English couple who had great connection to the underground church as well, they were talking about the five pillars of the underground church movement. And and basically, it, it goes something like this. They say, here's the first pillar, everyone must daily pray for without God we can do nothing. Everyone must daily study their Bibles. And this is how they study their Bibles. They say, okay, now you read John's gospel and make sure you come back to us and explain it. You read Mark's gospel, make sure you can come back and explain it. You read Romans, make sure you can come back and explain it. And they kind of just assign a book or a chapter per person. Make sure you study that well so when we come back tomorrow, you know it. So everyone must daily study their Bibles because listen, we don't know when our Bibles will be taken away. They say, listen, Everyone must expect miracles because without miracles, many of our brethren won't eat. Everyone must, listen, everyone must daily tell somebody else about Jesus because we don't know uh, when we'll lose our opportunity. And this is the fifth pillar. This is the one that really got me that connects to what we're seeing here. He says, listen, everyone must rejoice in suffering for Jesus because if we do that, we cannot be defeated. Now that rejoicing is not just like, ha, you can't hurt us, (laughs) we're Christians. Some kind of weird superhero complex or something. No, it's, listen, humbly loving and serving people who hate them, even if they die for it. This is why there are more born-again believers in China than anywhere else in the world. So when Jesus does this, when Jesus actually serves like this, as the beloved son, as the one who is God the Son, that God's chosen king the Messiah, he loves his enemy by serving him. He serves the one who is going to betray him. Folks, just really if we even if we stop right here, wouldn't this be enough just to think about? Think about how what an impact We would have if we really just started doing this. You have a boss that treats you horribly. What if you thought, okay, Lord, how am I supposed to love this person? Usually what we do in those situations is, how do I not kill this person, Lord? Okay, I won't slash their tires. I won't won't speak bad about them. Those are all good things not to do, right? But what about, Lord, how can I serve this person? What can I do that would be a blessing to them? Can you imagine if we grabbed hold of this truth? If we said, like our brothers and sisters in China, every day everyone must be willing to suffer for their faith, because if so, we cannot be defeated. Interesting, in 2008 when the earthquake happened in China, massive earthquake, people were really suffering. There's a lot of hurting people around the area where the, the, the earthquake was centered. And the underground church said, okay, we can't hide anymore. even if we go to jail for this, we have to come out. And they came out and started serving. They came out and started serving and gained even more credibility. It's a great video connected to uh, Care for Children, uh, one of the ministries that we support, called The Village. Look it up. And it's a really great video. It shows this small village in China that's all Christians. And when they heard of this vision of adopting Children, in the name of Jesus, because we've all been adopted. We were orphans who were adopted. Mm. They didn't just adopt children. The whole village, every family in the village, adopted a special needs child. They said, you, you can't watch the video without crying. I know I cried everything, I know. But you even <laughs> would cry at this. Even you hard-hearted people would cry at this. <laughs> no, th- th- Jesus serves as a beloved son, and he does so. He uses this authority to serve others, even his enemies. And it's interesting because the way John writes this, he seems to be kind of blown away, mesmerized by what he sees. He says that basically in, in verse 4, what does it say? That, that, that John knows that Jesus knows who he is and he watches Jesus and he kind of gives all this detail. He, he rose from supper and then he, he laid aside his garment and then he took this towel and he, he girded himself. And then he gets this bowl, and he actually pours water into the bowl, and then he, he begins to wash the disciples' feet, and he's wiping with a towel that's wrapped around him. Why all the detail? Why didn't you say he washes his feet? Because John's blown away. The beloved son is doing this? Now, he's blown away because foot washing, though very, very common, it was something that would be expected when you went into someone's home. The hospitable thing to do would be to wash their feet. Remember, people walked around to get everywhere. That was their mode of transportation, was their feet. And they had open-toed sandals, and they were walking through dusty, dirty feet, or streets and open sewage. And it's just, you know, nasty feet. We're talking about nasty. I don't really like feet, but these are really nasty feet. And it was such a gross job. Seriously, it was such a gross job that, that um, it was saved for the lowest slave. Some scholars have actually said that um, you you couldn't force, Roman law says you could not force a slave even to do that job. It was so gross. don't know if that's true or not, but it was the lowest slave for sure had to wash feet. And so when Jesus does this, everyone's blown away. Everyone's thinking, what's going on? Maybe what it is is John John wants the readers to know, listen, I saw this. This is not just some sort of story or analogy. Jesus really did this. He really washed these people's feet. But notice also what it says in verse 3 it says, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hand, and also, notice it says, that he had come from God and was going to God. In other words, listen, Jesus knew exactly who he was and what relationship he had with the Father that he had always had and will always have. In other words, listen, Jesus served all the works that he did, he he did as the one who is supremely loved. That's who he is. He's the beloved son. Listen to this. You guys remember this? Uh, In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is baptized, what happens? He's baptized and it says suddenly a voice came from heaven saying what? God the Father says, this is my beloved Son and whom I am well pleased. And then later on in Matthew's Gospel again at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured into his glorified self it says that while Peter was still speaking Peter sees Jesus glorified and starts talking to him all this babble about let's make three temples, it'll be really good. God shuts him up and basically says this, It says, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out, and the cloud saying again, This is my beloved Son, and whom I will please hear him. Now, what's interesting about the, the baptism account in Matthew 30, this is before Jesus has done any ministry. So you can't sort of somehow explain this away and say, Well, this is just kind of... People are so enamored with all the good stuff that Jesus had done, and therefore they start thinking, oh, he must be God's son. No, before he did anything, he's just getting baptized. What happens? God says, this is my son. When we get to John 17, we'll see that that Jesus really highlights this reality, that this glory that he's had, this amazing relationship, God the Father to God the Son, has always been there. This is important. It's important because listen, this was his motivation to serve. It says in John chapter five, verse 20, "For the Father, this is Jesus speaking. He says, "For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man, then you will be truly astonished. Do you understand what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is basically saying, this is why I do what I do, because I'm loved by the Father. This is why I serve the way I serve, because I'm loved by the Father. Listen, here's what the Bible says about us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all children of God. New King James says, sons of God. You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. Do you understand That if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've believed that He is who He said He is and that His death pays for your sins, that His resurrection guarantees your eternal life, if you've believed that, you know what God says you are? He says you are His child. That you have on you the same love that He has on His only begotten Son. Do you realize it's not your faith that merits that or makes it happen? It's God's work that merits that. So that because of what Christ has done, God can look at you and God can look at me and he can say, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased before you do anything for him. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter and who I'm well pleased. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. Can you see where we're going with this? (laughs) Can you see how important it is if we think of any service that we recognize, I should only serve, I'm only called to serve from the position of being a beloved son. This is why I serve, because God so loves me. This is how Jesus served. Listen, Paul says it this way. In Ephesians 5.1, he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. He didn't say follow God's example to become dearly loved children. As dearly loved children. I mean, isn't this the way it works in relationships? Aren't, don't you feel more free to serve somebody when you're confident they actually love you? Isn't that how it works in human relationships? How much more with our God? Isn't this why we go nuts? This is why people burn out. I say that as somebody who has come close to burnout several times in ministry. You know why? Because I'm doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Have you ever been in that place where you think, okay, I need to work a little harder, serve a bit more, be a bit more committed, give a little more, then I'll be assured that God loves me but isn't that the cart before the horse? (laughs) No, God calls us to believe. Jesus knew who he was, the only begotten Son of God, the beloved Son. We need to know who we are in him if we're going to be able to serve like him. So Jesus served as the beloved Son, but also, and this is maybe the part that you've missed before. But Jesus serves as the active Savior. Look at verse 6. Then Jesus came to Simon Peter. So he's already washed some of the disciples' feet, but no one has such a big mouth like Peter. I relate to Peter. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus says to him, look, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. Now, is it hard to understand if someone has a bowl full of clean water and a towel and has washed everybody else's feet, that he's washing feet? Is that hard to understand? No, it's not, is it? No, this is, I'm being serious. It's not hard to understand, is it? It's not hard to understand that he's going to wash his feet. That's not the issue. The issue is, Jesus said, of course, I'm going to wash your feet. Duh, Peter. Hello? Really, Peter? You don't get, I'm going to wash your feet? He, no, Jesus is saying this. Look, you don't understand this now because he wants to do more than clean his feet. Do you get this? This is why Jesus is saying it. Jesus is saying it this way to Peter. Peter, I want to do more than just to make your feet not sting so much anymore. I'm wanting you to have more than just clean feet. So you don't understand that now, but just just wait. Peter's impatient, like me. And so what does he say? In verse 8, Peter said, You will never wash my feet. Now, that sounds pretty emphatic in our English versions, but in the Greek, it literally says this, not until the earth is destroyed will you wash my feet. It's almost like a saying, when hell freezes over, you'll wash my feet then. (laughs) You know, I I love the fact that the, the scriptures record what an idiot Peter can be. It makes me feel so much better. Because I can do the same kind of, I have the same kind of attitude. It's so stupid when we cop an attitude with with God. How ridiculous is that? This is what Peter's doing. No way, Lord. Nah. I'm not doing it. (laughs) But what what does Jesus say? Verse eight, Jesus says to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, you don't belong to me. Whew. And remember, what what, what Jesus is doing here is, is he's, don't forget what he's doing is he's doing a practical deed that points to a greater reality. That's what he's doing. It's a practical deed, washing feet, that points to a greater reality. This is the greater reality, our need for cleansing. Now, I wonder if anybody, I wonder if anybody would, would volunteer and come up here and let me take off their shoes and expose their feet. I wonder if would anybody want to volunteer to do that today? I'm not going to do it, Robert, but thank you. Thank you, Robert, for being willing. Now, it wasn't something that we're really quick to do, though, is it? Because let's be honest, I don't know about you, but I'm not wearing socks. I'm wearing these shoes that everybody makes fun of me. Thank you, Andy. Um, and wearing these shoes, and I'm not wearing socks. And I am a bit self-conscious that maybe it's a bit hot in here. I don't know how my feet are going to be doing. So we, we, this whole idea of foot washing, in fact, it was something that the early church practiced literally. They, they washed feet. It was a typical in the early church to do this, to serve each other this way. Uh, it's, a, it's quite a humbling thing. I don't know if anybody here, has anybody here ever been to a foot washing ceremony or had one? I have. We've, we've done a few of those. It's, it's, it's humble to do it. It's more humbling to have it done to you, isn't it? It's very humbling. Someone's touching my feet. This is kind of gross and weird and exposing. They can see the weird things that are growing down there. Now, the, the thing is that Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, listen, you need to understand, this is way bigger than just your feet. I have, you can't belong to me unless I wash you. And the things that are exposed in your heart are much worse than what's on your feet. I, I think in all seriousness, we need to think about um, how dirty our hearts can be. And our lives can be. And 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 I'm I'm being, I want us to be kind of sober and thoughtful right now. This is not about me trying to condemn you or myself. This is about just, can we just be honest before God? How how selfish can we be? How lazy can we be? How vain can we be? Can can I confess something to you guys? So a lot of you know that I was asked to speak at this festival we were just at, Creation Fest. Uh, I actually got asked to do the main stage, and I was feeling pretty good about myself about that. Main stage. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, I was, the text I was given, they were teaching through the book of Philippians in the morning gatherings. And the text I was given was a text that really parallels this in John chapter 13. It's Philippians chapter 2, the first 11 verses that talk about Jesus, though though He was equal with God, uh, became a man and humbled Himself to the point of being a man, even a servant, and even death, and death on the cross. It's beautiful, great, majestic passage of Scripture. And I thought, I know this, and I restudied it again. I thought, I'm ready for this. And, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I got up there, and it, it went okay. It wasn't horrible. It was hard. It was weird dynamics of being on a main stage, and everyone's way out there, and there's lights, and there's a timer flashing at you. Um, it was, it was, it was weird. And so it went okay. And I was really bothered by that. Man, it just went okay. And I thought, maybe I'm just not a main stage guy. i just, this isn't is my gifting, you know. And it still bugged me for a couple of days. And finally God showed me why it bugged me. It bugged me because I wanted to go up there and I wanted to rock it. I wanted it to be so good that everyone's like, your message was amazing. My life was changed. The heavens parted when you preached. It was glorious. That's what I wanted. Now, we laugh at that, but God resists that, doesn't he? He says he resists the proud. It was pride. That's the sin that that got Satan booted out of heaven. It's what motivates him to deceive us. It's demonic. It's wicked, and it leads to every other kind of sin. And that's just a sin I'm willing to tell you. Folks, you would be in the same boat, wouldn't you? In your heart of hearts, you know there's this wretchedness. And this is why, listen, we have to have Jesus cleansing us. We have to. This might be one of your first church experiences. I don't know for sure. Maybe you haven't been at church a long time. And maybe you just need to remember this is the reality the Apostle Paul puts it this way in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know, I'm reading from the NIV. He says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of, of God? Doesn't that make us all disqualified? Yeah. He says, don't be deceived. He's really pointing with this. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. That's having not just worshiping a statue, but having, holding on to a wrong view of God nor adulterers. Remember, Jesus said, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Interesting. I bet you we'd pick one or two of that list and go, yeah, that's wicked, and then do their other ones on the list. But Paul's really clear. You don't get in the kingdom of God if you've practiced those things. And look at what Paul continues to say. And that is what some of you were. But what happened? But you were washed. You were washed. Do you see what Jesus is saying to Peter, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us? Do you understand? It's not your feet that are stinky, it's your heart. You need to have that cleansed, washed away. You need to be, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, sanctified and justified. Sanctified, set apart for God's purposes. Justified, rendered innocent by God. You need that. And only Christ can provide it. It has to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. God supernaturally has to come in and cleanse our hearts and change us. Now, when... when Jesus says this to Peter. Peter loves Jesus. He does. He doesn't always understand what's going down at this point. But he loves Jesus. And so, okay, Lord, fine. it says in verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my, head, my hands and my head. But Jesus says, okay, calm down. Uh, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, but not all of you. And he's going to, of course, we'll talk about Judas in a second. In other words, listen, Jesus wants Peter to know, the Spirit of God wants us to know that not only is his cleansing absolutely necessary, but our cleansing, it's both completed already and ongoing. This is a really important thing to understand. And this connects to the, the already and not yet of the kingdom. That we are already forgiven, past tense, done, full stop. Already forgiven, completely cleansed. You were washed, past tense, Paul said. But it's also an ongoing thing. You know why? Because we continue to sin. Uh, l- listen to the way John will write about this in his epistle, 1 John chapter 1. John says, if we walk in the light as he, speaking of God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. So there's a connection to walking with God, walking in the light, and needing an ongoing purification from sin. He says, listen, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, there are whole groups of Christians that would say, I don't sin anymore. I just make mistakes. That's not what the scripture says. What, that, what we tend to do is we tend to then re, rename things that actually are sin as something else. Well, that's not sin. That's a mistake. Sin is different. Or it's, it's not, I'm not purposely doing something. I just neglected something it wasn't aware of. Well, that's not how God deals with these things. That's not how he views these things. So if we say, listen, John says, if we say we're without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. We are still those who still sin. But if we confess our sin, that means saying the same thing about our sin that God says. That's what confess means. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he'd do it every time, he's just, he's righteous in doing it, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from what? All unrighteousness. If we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word's not in us. So listen, when if you say here today, if you say, well, I don't really think I am a sinner. That's a bit harsh. I'm not really a sinner. You're actually saying God's a liar because he says you're a sinner. If you say, I don't sin anymore. I got it down. I'm doing good. I don't sin anymore. You're deceiving yourself. But if you see that you have failed to love God with your heart, sight, soul, mind, and strength, you have failed to love your neighbor as yourself. If you see that you fall short of that, how do you walk with God knowing you fall short? Because you know you've been bathed and you're being washed. Do you see how this works? This is why confession should be a normal part of our prayer life. Jesus taught us to pray that way, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is why forgiveness is such a big deal in the New Testament. Why Jesus says, look, if you don't forgive people, you can't say you're a Christian, really. You're not really forgiving yourself. Why? Because God doesn't just forgive us as a one time deed, He forgives us daily. As we say, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, the, the, the closer I walk with God, the more I realize, gosh, I fall short. My goodness, do I not love the way I'm supposed to love. Wow, I, I blow it all the time. But you know what? I still walk with him, and guess what I find out? Lord, I messed up and God says, I forgive you. <laughs> and cleanses me from all righteousness. Do you know that kind of freedom? You see, Jesus is an active Savior. We sometimes think, yeah, Jesus saved us. He died 2,000 years ago. Well, what he completed there is still applicable today. When he died for our sins, how sufficient was that death? How sufficient was that atonement? How many of your sins did you have left to commit? All of them. Which means if we are willing to come to God and say, God, I've messed up again, forgive me. See, confessing means saying the same thing as God because I know some of you are thinking now, yeah, but John, what about repentance? Well, to confess, the assumption in there is repentance as well because to say the same thing about your sin as God says, says i got to turn away from this. I'm turning away from this and coming back to you and say, God, I messed up again. Forgive me. I want to walk with you. And God cleanses us. Christ paid for that. This is the lesson that Peter will one day learn that Jesus is right here in this situation illustrating that our cleansing is both complete and ongoing. Notice too, verse 11 says, for he knew, Jesus knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you're not all clean. Now Jesus washed the feet of all 12 disciples, but only 11 left forgiven. Why? Because Judas was already determined to betray Jesus, and after he betrayed Jesus, and even knew he betrayed innocent blood, he didn't go back to Jesus, did he? You see, here's the, here's the reality. The cleansed person continues to trust. I wonder if some of you here are struggling in your faith because you don't really believe you're cleansed. I know I should walk with God. I know I should trust God. I know I should obey God. I just keep blowing it. Well, have you confessed that? <laughs> have you believed Confess means say the same thing as, all right, God, I've sinned. I have to turn away from the sin. But this is a sin Christ died for. And I believe since Christ died for that, I'm forgiven. So Lord, I come to you and I just, I believe. I, I take you at your word, God. I don't feel it necessarily, but I believe I'm forgiven. You ever thought maybe that's what's holding up your walk? Do you really believe you've been cleansed? So then what happens? It says in verse 12, so when Jesus had he finished washing their feet, he takes his garments, puts them back on, he sits down again, and he says to them, do you guys know what I did for you? I love when Jesus asks these, these kind of questions because I, I think they all do what, I, what you guys tend to do when I ask you a question. Uh, I don't know what to say. We, we all do this, don't we? God asks us a question, we're afraid to give the wrong answer. So he says, do you know what I do to you? And he says to them, you call me teacher and Lord, verse 13, and you say, well, for so I am. He didn't say, so I was. He didn't say, so I will become. He said, so I am. You know what this means? It means, listen, Jesus served as a perfect example, and he served, listen, as Lord and teacher. As someone of all authority, he served. That's what he did. This is the example to us, right? What did Jesus tell his disciples in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 10? It's one of our main verses, the verse that kind of is, is the verse for our church. He says, You know that those things that are considered, uh, those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever, uh, whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. Listen, when Jesus becomes a man, He adds to His deity humanity. He doesn't lose deity. He adds to his deity humanity, okay? He humbles himself and comes as the form of a servant, but the character of the servant has always been a part of the Godhead. It is God's character to serve. Listen, God serves people. God is a servant. Jesus served because he is the beloved son. He served, and gave us an example, serving as the position that he's in. This is why everyone at Servants Church who stands up here and preaches, before they stand up here and preach, they have to first be a deacon candidate and do all kinds of grunt work that is always way harder than they always expect, right? So They're always like, wow, there's a lot of responsibility. If you don't believe me, talk to... Adam and Joe and Neil, they'll tell you this is is the reality. They feel the weight of church. It's a lot of work. Then, if they have the kind of character that we can all say, amen, that person's moving towards Jesus, then they they can become deacons. And then once they're deacons, if they feel called to teach, then they can be trained to make sure they're doing it in a way that actually pleases God and helps people. Then they can get a chance to teach. Why? Because we're so strict? No, because we want to make sure they understand service, not just speaking. Now, Jesus says this to them, and then he goes on to say, I'm almost done. In verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. I want you to think about this too, especially you guys who are serving. We are blessed at Servants Church to have almost 70 people who have committed to serve on a regular basis. Now, more people than that serve at Servants Church. More than that serve at Servants Church. But we're talking about people who have gone through the process they fill out an application. They've committed to a team or two teams, some of them two teams, and they serve 70 people out of a church of maybe 150, 200 at the most. That's pretty good. Now, now here's the thing. Sometimes when we serve as those teams, it gets tiring, doesn't it? It gets frustrating. Can we be honest? It's frustrating. Maybe someone in your team doesn't pull their weight, and you feel like you're doing all the work. Maybe you're in the kids' ministry and you think, if these parents would actually discipline their children, they wouldn't be said frats, <laughs> stinking pastor's kids. Just kidding, my kids are angels. <laughs> you know, we, we do sometimes get tired in our service. We sometimes get frustrated with those we serve. We sometimes feel like, I'm not getting the respect due me. And you know what we're proving? We're proving that we actually aren't servants. You know how you know you're really a servant? You're not bothered when somebody treats you like one. When someone treats you like a servant, you're not bothered by it. I used to say, um, I used to throw in little hints, maybe once every couple months to people, like, yeah, so, you know, Monday's my day off, and I, like, so if I don't answer the phone, that's because I'm trying to have a day off. That's a hint, like, please don't call me on Monday. And then basically it never worked. People still would call Monday or send texts. I don't know why none of you know how to use your church directories and you call me and ask me for phone numbers. But that's what you do on Monday. (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, come on, people. You know, I, I pay Ollie to make sure you don't have to call me on Monday. And when I do so, I'm reminded that I'm really not a servant. that I just sometimes wanna do this for a myriad of other reasons. I I think that if we would understand what Jesus does for us, (laughs) how he serves us, it would change the way we serve each other. Are we greater than Jesus Did we send him or did he send us? Interesting too he's, that he would say that. He wouldn't just kind of take this in the context of serving one another, washing feet, serving in church, whatever application we'd want. But he actually uses that idea, right? Nor is he who sent greater uh, than uh, no, who's he who is sent greater than he who sent him? What does it mean to be sent? There's a word for that. There's a title for a sent one. You guys know what it is? Apostle. Jesus sent these guys out to do what? To preach the gospel and make disciples. To go out. How are they to go out? Like servants. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul, in talking about the servanthood of Jesus, says that Jesus esteemed others better than himself. God calls us to that service. I didn't ask them permission, I hope they forgive me for, for sharing this, uh, Andy and Clara, but I know that Andy took a cut and pay to take this job in Scotland. When you have five kids, any cut and pay is a bad cut and pay. Why? They esteemed those young people that need to know what it means to follow Jesus more highly than a takeaway. I wonder how many of you, God has stirred your heart to some sort of ministry or outreach, but then the cost is, ugh, mm, yeah, a bit more than I want to pay. What are you doing when you do that? You're saying, I esteem me, my comfort, my desire, better than that person you want me to reach out to. Jesus calls us to follow his example. Why? Because we've been so served. Because we've been so loved. No servant is above any service. Whatever God calls you to, whatever he calls you to, it's not too far. I don't know what it is God's going to call you to. You guys ever heard of the Moravians? Anybody ever heard of them? A few of you heard of the Moravians. They were a German group uh, who were uh, worshippers of Jesus and had a heart for mission. This is before the big missionary push that happened in the 19th century. And so they wanted to reach faraway lands. So you know what some of these people did? They sold themselves as slaves to go onto the slave boat so they could go reach the places where they were bringing slaves over here. No cost is too much. Jesus said this, so, likewise, this is Luke 17. So, likewise, you, when you have done all things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do. I want to close with this. We hear this, we're challenged by this. I'm challenged by this. Just saying it to you, I'm challenged by this afresh. But are we going to do this? Are we really going to believe? that in Christ, we are God's beloved. Are we gonna serve from there? God, you so love me. Do we really believe him when he says that about us? That in Christ we're beloved. Are we gonna believe, listen, are we really going to believe that we serve, not someone who's just saved us, past tense, but an active savior who we can walk with, who we can be honest with. He sees all of our junk anyway who will constantly cleanse us as we confess. Do we believe that? Are we gonna follow his example? You know, there's a blessing for us in this. And it's not wrong for us to want a blessing. When God gives us a blessing, it's good for us to want that blessing. Look what he says in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The psalmist said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a good understanding to have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Do you want to know God better? Do you want to understand this God who serves you? Do what He says. Do what He says. Follow His example. I am going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. While well, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just really want to give you a chance to, to think about what you've heard. And quickly, if anybody here has not put their faith in Jesus, I know you've heard stuff. You've all here, you've, you're all here today. You've heard the same sermon. We don't want any of you to end up like Judas. And I mean that. It's not me being harsh. We don't want any of you to end up like Judas where you hear of Jesus, you have a certain respect for Jesus, you trust that he's somehow better than you but you don't actually believe that he's it's his cleansing that you need we don't want you to be in that place so if you are here today and you're realizing man i need jesus to wash away my sins i am a wrongdoer would you cry out to him Call out to Jesus and say, Lord, I've, I've sinned against you, but I believe that your death on the cross washes away my sins. I believe you did rise from the dead three days later, and that's why this stuff is true. Tell him that. Pray that. Ask God to save you. For the rest of us, where has God called you to serve? how has God called you to serve? I'm not just talking about Sunday morning church, I'm talking about in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. Ask the Lord to give you that heart that esteems those people you serve as better than yourself. Ask God to give you that heart. You might be that example. Because where God's called you to serve is where he sent you to be a witness.